All right, let me grab a bell. Let's get comfortable. Let's start with our meditation. I am going to give a Dharma talk today on worrying. And we will be talking a lot about tips and tricks to reduce that. But I think first we let's do our regular sit. Let's plop into the present moment and see what's going on there these days. As always, I invite us to take some long, slow, deep breaths as we begin to create a nice, safe space in the present moment. Take a few long, slow, deep breaths in through the nose and out through the mouth. And you might consider with each exhale Intentionally relaxing the body, allowing the exhale to relieve us of all the stress and contraction in the muscles, the tension in the spine, relaxing on the exhale. releasing the contraction of the day. Breathing out stress and tension, breathing in grace and ease, relaxation and well-being. As we begin our journey into presence, it's always helpful to remind ourselves that we are embodied beings. Bring awareness to the shape of the body sitting. Notice how the body feels in this moment. Body sitting, body breathing. Notice the feeling of sitting posture. How do you know you're sitting? Bringing sensations of sitting body into awareness with a gentleness and ease. Direct contact. Sensations with awareness, awareness with body. Where there is life, there is always sensation. And we have the gift of bringing those sensations directly into awareness. Notice feet touching floor, perhaps hands touching hands, contact, sensations. Notice the feeling of your shoulders holding up your neck and head. 
embodied being, sitting, breathing. Take notice of any tension, contraction, pain, or discomfort. It is easy to tense up throughout the day without even knowing it. If we find any areas of tension, we just bring awareness to that part of the body and we breathe. Holding that part of the body gently in awareness, we take a deep breath in, long and slow, in through the nose and out through the mouth. And on the exhale, we just intentionally relax that part of the body, relaxing the muscles, allowing the tension to roll off the body with ease. Exhaling all the tension and contraction while inhaling the relaxation, the peace, the gracefulness of the present moment, body breathing. And with this body sitting, breathing and at ease, we check in with mood. How are we feeling in this moment? There might be a sense of relaxation, but there might be some aversion. Could be some anxiety or anticipation. Maybe the mind is already taking a little trip into the past, maybe rolling in the future, creating mood. There might be an openness. Maybe there's a closeness to the heart. We invite mood into the room just as it is bringing it gently into awareness. In this moment, the sitting body has feelings arising and passing away. Opening a space for mood. And with body gently held in awareness, a mood rising and passing away. We set our mind to find a spot on the body that we call home, our doorway to present moment awareness.
You can be aware of the sensations of breathing, perhaps the arising and contraction of the chest, the belly, and the abdomen. Each moment, physical sensations of breathing. Or we might take the actual sensation of air as it moves across the upper lip, into the nose, the cooler air passing in, the warmer air passing out as it's warm by the lungs. You may choose any part on the body where we feel sensations. Perhaps we choose to be mindful of the sensations in the hands, sensations in the feet or the face, perhaps the top of the head. Any place that we can bring awareness to sensations is a perfectly good place to be. Finding a home in the present moment, awake and aware, body sitting, body breathing, sensations of life arising and passing away. In-breath and out-breath, awake and aware to presence.
Thank you, my friends, for donating your hearts and minds to the group sit, as always. I always look forward to the group sit every week. The delight of my week. Let's take five, and then uh, we'll come back for some tips and tricks on worry. All right. It is good to be back. It feels like I haven't been here in so long. I never realized it's only been, I guess, two weeks. I mean, I wasn't here last week, but then another week, of course, has gone by. <laughs> and it seems like whenever I take time off, I come back and there's a new natural disaster that we're contending with. So for those of you who were here uh, last week, thanks for continuing our momentum and thanks to Kate for filling in. Um, so the weeks before that, we were doing body meditation, we were doing elements, and we were doing the 32 body parts, and I will continue with that. Um, not this week, but I will continue with that. But in the meantime, uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about the hindrance of worry, because I lost a serious battle with worry this week, and it got me thinking, how do we use the Dharma to manage this hindrance of worry? And I just think it's really interesting that the Buddha had this on his list of hindrances several thousand years ago. So even at the time of the Buddha, he thought worry was significant enough to bring it into the Dharma as one of the major hindrances that contributes to suffering. And I know in my own experience this week, uh, I lost the balance of my mind with the fires and trying to get air filters and all of these things to try and feel safe and content and in control. And then I realized there was a bunch of stuff I couldn't control and worry arose. And then trying to contend with worry arose. And then feeling bad about worrying and thinking, I can't believe I'm worrying. And that created more worry. And so all of these arrows. So I thought, you know, maybe this week we will talk about worry a little bit and some tips and tricks um, that I had to remind myself of this week to feel uh, back, not in control, but back in basically centered back into the present moment where you can do some work, where you can get a sense of relief. And there are quite a few things we can do with this hindrance. It is not completely out of the scope of practice to be able to really work with this sensation, to notice when it's arising, to have some tools in our toolbox to work with it. So I wanted to give you some frameworks this week and then Possibly next week, depending on how much we get done this week, we will certainly go back to our body parts. I want to finish those guided meditations to make sure we have all those tools. We'll do some review and get all of that stuff squared away as well. But today I just wanted to give you some perspectives on uh, agitation, worry, and concern and how we can deal with this in a way that's skillful, that leads to long-term happiness and well-being. One of the things I wanted to remind us, whenever we talk about any of the five hindrances, the Buddha lists the five hindrances as something that we deal with in our meditation and off the cushion, truly. But the Buddha also reminds us that all of the five hindrances, craving, aversion, doubt, worry, all of these types of agitating experiences are things that we're co-creating. The hindrances are a product of the mind. They're a product of the heart-mind experience. So whenever we're experiencing worry, it's always good to remember, first noble truth, the fact of worry. Human beings worry. This is a part of what it is to be human, completely natural experience, and freedom from worry is also an option. Both of those are options, 
And we don't have to get down on ourselves when we feel overly concerned or when we get into kind of a worry spiral and we're having a hard time managing. Worry is natural. It's a type of dukkha. It's a type of suffering that is constructed by how we bring our heart-mind to the present moment. What kind of qualities are we experiencing in the heart and mind in the present moment? We bring those in to the present and worry is a result. So it's natural. It's a natural part of the human experience. And one of the things to know about worry, or one of the things I think is actually quite interesting about worry, is that part of the reason human beings are so good at worrying is that we have this unique aspect of our consciousness that allows us to imagine things into the future. Our ability to look into the future five years, 10 years, 20 years, to imagine what will be, to imagine what we would like it to be, this ability that we have is quite unique to humans. Most other animals are very present moment centered. So they're concerned about present moment needs, food, survival, shelter. Human beings have this ability to look five years in advance and worry about that. We have the ability to think ahead towards things like retirement and education and having kids. We have this ability to foreshadow and predict quite a ways out, which is a wonderful gift for humans, right? This allows us to create things, right? To imagine something into existence and work towards it over a lifetime. This ability to look at the future and envision something allows us to be creative. It also allows us to engage in the environment in ways that are wholly unique to human beings. We are creators. So part of being creators is being able to imagine something that hasn't happened yet and then to create it and live into it. So human beings have this amazing capacity to imagine things not yet in existence, this ability to foreshadow and to lean into what we call the future. Now, there's a flip side of this gift of being able to imagine things that have not come to pass. So the other thing is, when we imagine things that haven't happened, it is also very easy for us to imagine things that are really bad, that may never happen, and to perseverate on them. So we can imagine all kinds of things in our future that may or may not happen, and then we can spend time worrying about them. That is the flip side of this ability to lean into and move into a future. Human beings have this ability to create, but we also have this uncanny ability to imagine things that may or may not be so. We have this ability to project our doubts into the future, our fears into the future, and then, lucky us, we get to worry about them. We get to perseverate on them. So this is the flip side of this incredible gift of foreshadowing. We, unfortunately, sometimes project into the future things that could be unfortunate and we worry and we get riled up about it. And sometimes we can't turn it off. I know, like I said, this week, lots of worry. I kept having to come back to mindfulness and I really struggled with turning off the worry. I was worried about the air quality in my house and the environment and the air filters and trying to get my headaches and my allergies to calm down because I'm very sensitive to smoke. And so there was lots of worry and I was worrying about what could be, what could be happening and so on. And so I could see very clearly, I was reminded that human beings have this uncanny ability to look into the future and forecast all kinds of wonderful things and it can trip us up. It can cause dukkha. The way we engage with the future, the heart-mind qualities that we bring 
to these fantasies can really have a negative impact. They can have a positive impact as well, but sometimes they can have a negative impact. Human beings are really good, and I'm really great at this, at worst case scenarios. We really enjoy postulating worst case scenarios. And so when this happens, it can create a significant amount of worry. Now what's interesting about worry, historically, as there's, there's a couple things that have happened I just wanna mention because I find this really interesting. Two major things happen to human beings that have caused us to be in situations where we're much more worrisome than we were at different periods in our development. So the most immediate one is the internet. The digital revolution, information age, call it what you will. The internet has provided us with more information than we've ever had access to at a quicker speed than we've ever had access to. This creates a very complicated dimension to human experience where we have all kinds of things coming at us that we can be concerned about, that we can be worrying about. And this access to this information can be really overwhelming to the nervous system. We can access the news 24 seven and not only local news, but international, global. We can look and see what's going on all over the world. And we tend to look at the negative so this information age has really become quite the burden to the human nervous system. We worry more than we ever have before. Chronic worry is a real problem. Part of this is because our environment, we now have access to information at a quick speed and an enormous quantity that we've never had before. So this reminds us that the more complex and more intense the information flow, the more likely we're gonna feel worried and overwhelmed. So we'll talk about this a little bit later about complexity and how to reduce complexity in our life. But complexity, this complex system of information that we're constantly getting is making us overwhelmed. So the more complex, the more worry possibility we have. And this is just something that we're dealing with and we'll have to learn to manage this and to adapt as humans. We did something very similar about 10,000 years ago. So about 10,000 years ago, human beings were still hunters and gatherers. And for the most part, what we had to deal with was moment-to-moment -moment experience. We had our food supply, we had shelter, we had to deal with current weather, but we didn't have to think that far out. So when we were hunters and gatherers, there wasn't a lot of foreshadowing long-term. Most of our experience was moment-to-moment, -moment, dealing with what was going on right here, right now, and dealing with that. What happened about 10,000 years ago was the agricultural revolution where we became farmers. So we started settling down, building communities, growing crops. When that happened, human beings had a lot more stuff to worry about. So when you're a, a hunter-gatherer, mind you, things are more present moment. As soon as you settle down and you start growing food, now you have to worry about the seasons more. You have to worry about are the crops gonna grow, when to harvest, how to store the food, how to protect the food. You start creating villages and communities around this process. So now you've got a lot more social interaction you have to deal with. So as we became more communally oriented in the sense of building around farming communities, human beings had a lot more to worry about. We had homes where we didn't have them before. We had settlements where then we had possessions. Now we can worry about possessions. We can acquire possessions. We can protect possessions. So human beings have gone through these time periods in our develop where life gets more complicated. 
it gets more dynamic and we have a lot more information coming our way. And whenever this happens, historically, there is overwhelm and that worry mechanism that we have can get really triggered and we have to adapt. We have to adapt to the increase in complexity of living. So this is just a couple examples of things we've had to go through as human beings where this ability to foreshadow into the future trips us up. It causes dukkha. And we just need to learn tools to be able to deal with it. And the great thing about the Dharma is the Dharma has many, many frameworks for us to be able to think of how we can process the future in a way that can lead to long-term happiness and well-being rather than the distress that comes with what we might call an unskillful view, right? Or a view where we catastrophize or project things out into the future and we attach ourselves to them. We've all had this experience of imagining something that's gonna happen and then we can't let it go and we're trying to turn off that worry button and we just can't seem to flip the switch and the mind gets into this craving aversion type of spiral. We've all had that experience as human beings. It's a completely natural phenomenon. The difference for us as meditators is we have access to mindfulness that can bring us back into the present moment, right? Back into the now, back into what is happening currently, so we can basically separate ourselves a little bit from that leaning that we do into that future foreshadowing. So what I wanted to do is just give you some frameworks using our Buddhist skills, our Dharma skills, that you might be able to consider in relationship to worry. And these are the things I've been using all week to try to calm my mind down when I've been thinking about the fires and the environment and my air quality and what might be happening to my lungs and these kind of things. So I wanted to offer a couple frameworks here that I think could be helpful. So one thing that we remember from our meditation, from the Eightfold Path, is this thing that we called wise view. And what the Buddha reminds us is that when we're ever dealing with suffering, we have to keep in mind that we have these unconscious views that tend to give rise to our emotions, arise our moods and our actions. Our unconscious views of the world, our unconscious views of circumstances tend to guide and lead our actions and our experiences. And most of the time, our views are unconscious. So what the Buddha encourages us to do is always be mindful of our view. How are we viewing the world? How are we viewing the circumstance? And how does this view impact our happiness and well-being? And how might it be contributing to our stress and our suffering? And this can be hugely helpful with worrying. Because in worry, oftentimes there's a lot of unconscious thinking that comes into play that increases the stress around what we're actually worrying about. So I'm going to remind us of three views that can be really helpful to always keep in mind when it comes to worry. So these are three views. So here's the first one. The first one is, it's important for us to remember that most of the things that we worry about never actually come to pass. The majority of the things that human beings worry about never come to pass. The second one is that when we do imagine something that might be uncomfortable happening, rarely is it as bad as we've imagined it to be. The mind has this uncanny ability to exaggerate the future consequence. So it really helps for us to remember as we're walking through the world, as we're thinking about our future, 
remember that most of the things that we worry about hardly ever come to pass. When they do, they're rarely as bad as the mind has exaggerated them to be. The mind has a real uncanny ability to exaggerate. So let's remember that when we're moving into the future or imagining the future. The last thing to remember is that when it comes to worrying and fear and anxiety, worrying in advance rarely helps us to deal with the circumstance. It's actually rare that worrying about something leads to us acting skillfully. So if you keep this in mind as your view, whenever you feel worried, think about it for a second and watch as your mind is engaging in the exaggeration. Look to see, am I really postulating the worst case scenario here? And so if you can catch yourself in the beginning and remind the mind, most of the time the things I'm worrying about are not going to happen. If they do happen, they're not gonna be as bad as I'm currently imagining them. And the last one again, worrying about it is usually not helpful. So these are just some basic views and we can forget this so easily. We can forget that the worry and concern isn't going to generate well-being, even though in the moment the heart and the mind might be telling you, I need to worry about this. This is something I really, really need to chew on. But we don't most of the time. So that's how we're going to orient to worry, just reminding ourselves that the mind has this incredible talent for exaggeration. Another thing that the Buddha reminds us about all forms of suffering. When it comes to suffering, the Buddha invites us to remember to focus on what we can control. Focus on what we can participate in and to bring equanimity and acceptance to the part of the situation that we cannot. Most of the time when worrying is occurring, we're forgetting to really look at the part of the circumstance that we can truly participate in, truly control or have some agency over, and the part that simply is beyond our reach. And we get lost in mulling over the part that we simply can't control. As meditators, we have this incredible gift to remember the power of equanimity, the power of acceptance. Because part of what causes worry is an absence of the acceptance of the parts of the experience that are simply out of our reach. And I'll give you an example. So this week when I was freaking out about the environment, so I'm very sensitive to smoke. So when I get anywhere near smoke, my eyes start burning and I have trouble breathing. And so looking outside was this constant anxious anticipation of not being able to breathe well and feeling uncomfortable. And I really did find myself forgetting that I cannot control the fact that there are fires all up and down the West Coast. Like, this is what is so. The condition that is arising is that we are having significant wildfires. And the part I can control is what's inside my house. I can grab the fan. I can put, I took, a, I took two box fans and put filters over them and duct tape them to clean out the air. And that was working pretty good. I had an old filter like an air purifier, and I got that up and running. Those were things I could control. But before I did that, I sat and worried quite a long time about the environment and the smoke because I had really lost the balance of my mind and forgot to ask myself, okay, in this moment, let's look at the suffering, let's engage the part that I have some agency over, and let me bring some mindfulness and some acceptance and equanimity to the parts that I can't. 
And that really helped me take a step back from being so intensely overwhelmed by what was going on. So it's helpful to remember that we are co-creating our experience of reality. We are bringing qualities of heart-mind to the present moment. So we really want to remember as meditators, let us take the time to focus on what we can do something about. Let's acknowledge the part that we can't and really cultivate some equanimity about that part of our experience. And that takes a lot of practice because when worry arises, we're not so rational in the worried heart and worried mind phase, right? When we're overwhelmed and we're worried and concerned and anxious about stuff, we don't think so clearly. It's natural. In fact, the logical part of the brain tends to shut down when we're afraid anyway. So it's good to remember, okay, in the Dharma, we're going to look at the suffering and look at the part that I'm going to lean into and do something about. And I'm going to bring acceptance and bring a sense of ease to the part that I cannot. Hugely great for the Dharma. Another part of this, well, we usually call it the second arrow. In this case, I'm going to call it the third arrow. So in the Dharma, we have this idea of the pain and the discontent, and then our reaction to the discontent, which really causes the suffering, really causes what we call the dukkha. So we need to remember, so like in this case, the fire outside for me is the triggering phenomenon. That's the, the first arrow. But how I respond, that's all me. I can choose to stare outside the window and worry about how much of those particulates are getting in my lungs. Or I can take a break from doing that and react differently and create a different sense of ease in well-being. So that second arrow, my reaction, that's the one that I can let go of. Now, one thing that happens, though, with worry is that we tend not only to worry, but we then tend to worry about worrying and we kind of get down on ourselves about it. Sometimes when we worry about things, we might say to ourselves, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I'm worrying about this. This is so stupid. Why am I spending so much time worrying? And now we've created even more suffering on top of the initial suffering. So now we've got like four arrows going on from the very initial suffering that was happening. And so for strong emotions like anger and fear and worry, we can actually get into this like cycle where we start telling ourselves, I'm not doing enough, doing enough to stop the worrying. I'm not doing enough to stop the sadness. Why can't I fix it? So we have to be careful not to be too self-deprecating when it comes to these strong emotions because we can create extra layers of suffering for ourselves. And worry is one of those things that can have a real nice spiral and get us trapped. And I found myself this week when my mind became in balance saying, why isn't my meditation working? Or why can't I find the tool to calm myself? Or why do I keep worrying about the air quality? And this was just extra suffering for myself because I wasn't able to pull away enough to get a sense of presence, to get a sense of equanimity and letting go. I was not mindful or concentrated enough to really see that I was really causing a lot more pain and suffering for myself than was needed. And this really happens with strong emotions. So with worry, just look at how you're responding to it. Because you don't want to get all into that self-deprecation mindset about how you're not good enough in handling the worry or why can't I turn off the worry? Because that's something that I know myself I can get involved in. And I know other people do as well. That third arrow. Another thing I wanted to remind us when it comes to view, when we're viewing 
approaching something that's related to worry. Sometimes we can, we can get into this view that worrying is what keeps us on task or worrying keeps us successful because it allows us to stay focused. Sometimes you hear this more with stress where someone will say, you know, I work very good under pressure or I work very good when I'm stressed. Sometimes people say, you know, when I'm worried about something, that's when I'm really on my game. That's when I'm really being productive because I'm worried and concerned that I'm not going to do a good enough job. Now, I'm not going to say a little bit of worry isn't an okay thing, but it is very easy for us to sort of romanticize some of these negative emotions because we have yet to learn how to be mindful of them. We can take negative emotions that tend to drive us because we haven't learned an alternative emotion or an alternative motivation. We tend to say, oh, it's okay that I'm worried and stressed because that keeps me on my game. So be careful on how you sort of glorify some of these negative emotions as motivators for success. I cannot be the only A-type person in the room. And so A-type people tend to look at stress and worry as a type of engine for success. And I'm going to say, take a look at that with mindfulness, because I know I have in my own life. Another example, oftentimes people feel that they need to be... Um, riled up in a particular way to take action for something because we're so used to uh, anger and ill will and hatred being a motivator to take part in something. Like I've finally gotten so um, irritated and angry by something, I now can take a stand. And oftentimes we can be equally motivated by compassion. We can be equally motivated by a sense of grace and ease. We don't necessarily need to be triggered by negative emotions to respond significantly to something. And I know in my life, stress, anxiety, worry has been a motivator to be successful. It's been, it motivated me when I was in graduate school. It's been, it motivated me in different ways. But I also found that I was treating myself unhealthily and not giving myself self-care because I was sort of glorifying the negative emotion. So be careful on how you relate to some of these strong emotions. Just watch how your heart and mind work when you're stressed or worried. And ask yourself, can I use the Dharma to create a mental space that would still keep me moving towards my goal, but would actually be healthier on the nervous system, healthier on the heart, healthier on the mind, and might plant seeds for longer term health and well-being in my life. So keep an eye on that view. It happens a lot with um, stress and worry, that we do that with stress and worry. Another thing that we, we say, and this is sort of similar to this, sometimes if we can't manage our worry, we might try and talk ourselves into this view, which is, if I'm worrying about it, it's going to keep me safe. If I don't worry, I'm not going to keep myself safe. That may be true in some circumstances, but again, remember that you don't have to worry to keep yourself safe. You can be cautious, but not be worrying. You can be foreshadowing in the future, but not having that second and third arrow of worry. You can still be successful protecting yourself and planning ahead and keeping yourself safe without the worry. The worry part is not necessarily a requirement for the experience. But we don't know that until we can use mindfulness to really get in there and watch how our heart and mind is reacting moment to moment.
Another aspect of the Dharma that can be so helpful, I found this to be really helpful the last few days, was to remember this idea of not-self. Everyone in this digital Dharma hall has a worried self. When we worry, a certain self enters the building. Each of us has a certain personality around worry, how we worry. And another way of looking at it is, if I knew you very closely, like if I was a good friend of yours, how would I know when you're worried about something? What self arises where your friends, your family, your partners know, oh, this person's having a worried day. They're worried about something. They're concerned about something. All of us have a kind of self that arises when we're worried. It thinks worried thoughts, it feels worried feelings, and it behaves in a worried way. And we all have a particular way of invoking this worried self. It can be hugely fruitful in the Dharma to bring mindfulness to this identity and ask yourself, who am I when I'm worried? When something arises and I engage in that worried behavior, what does that look like? It can be a really beneficial meditation to simply jot down, what is it like when I'm worried? Where do I feel it in my body, right? What is my breathing like? What kind of thoughts do I tend to have when I'm worried? Because people engage worry in different ways. We each have a different type of worried identity that arises. And some of us have multiple ones. Like maybe we have a worried self that occurs, like let's say we're a parent and we have a child and we're worried about our kiddo. That might be a particular type of worried self. And then maybe there's a worried self that shows up at work when we have a project that's due or we're having some trouble with a supervisor or a boss. Maybe we have a different worried identity with our partners when something is going on in the marriage or in our friendships and it's not going well and we're concerned. We bring a different identity. The great thing about this is that that identity is something that we can change. We can evolve. We can bring care and concern to and we can heal in particular ways by really noticing the worried self. What is this worried self and how might I engage it differently so it's not so destructive, not so painful, and not so much of a hindrance to what's going on? So getting in touch with the worried self can be very important. Another thing to keep in mind about worry, of all of the really intense emotions related to the hindrances, Worrying tends to have a lot of verbal fabrication. So remember, verbal fabrication is how we talk to ourselves when something arises. Worrying tends to be very cognitive for most of us. Now, I have a lot of physical stuff that goes on when I worry, and I know you all have different places in your body where you'll notice that there's worry occurring. But worry, more than a lot of different emotions, is really accompanied by a series of thought patterns, a series of trains of thought that tend to be um, habitual to you as a person. You know, our mind tends to like certain ways of thinking. So I'm going to list some off and you'll recognize all of these probably because they're very common, very common in pop psychology, certainly. Uh, but you'll, you'll notice that your heart or mind will tend towards some of these thinking patterns. And it really helps to know about them and get in touch with them with mindfulness before the event occurs, using them as a meditative practice and getting in touch with who we are as worried selves before we actually find ourselves worried. So here's the few that I, I mean, there's tons of them, but here's some of the more common ones. The first one is what I mentioned earlier, which is catastrophizing, also known as terribleizing. 
Some of us, when something happens, we tend to go straight to the worst case scenario. We catastrophize. And we don't think of the medium scenario or the lighter version of the scenario. We just go to all bets are off. This is going to be a terrible experience. Or what if the worst case thing happens? That is something we can bring into awareness and we can change that and create a new type of verbalization that will decrease some of that catastrophizing. I'm like an expert at catastrophe. I can go from zero to catastrophe in like 2.3 seconds. I've like mastered this. And I also know through mindfulness how I've been able to bring mindfulness to those moments where I'm catastrophizing and back off my foot from the gas and feel a sense of ease when I look at the worrying self that goes there, that it's been trained since childhood to go to that negative space. So catastrophizing is very common in a state of worry. Another one that we do, a little more subtle, is generalizing. So this is what human beings tend to do. Something has happened in the past that was kind of uncomfortable or maybe significantly uncomfortable, and we presume that it's going to happen again and we throw it into our future and we start worrying about it happening a second time. So we take this one thing that happened and we generalize it and say, oh my God, it's gonna happen again because it happened last time. Sometimes this can be very insidious. Sometimes we're looking into the future and what we're really projecting is a fear that something that happened before is going to happen again, even though this might be a completely different circumstance. So be careful of generalizations, they're very subtle and we can notice them, though, through awareness, through mindfulness. We can really notice when we're starting to generalize that something happened in the past. That means it's going to happen again in the future. Another common way of thinking during situations of worry is the all or nothing scenario. Now, this has to do a lot about our self-esteem and our self-concept. Oftentimes, as humans... And I'm not the only one in the room that has this. We have too high expectations of ourselves, too high unrealistic expectations of others or unrealistic expectations of a circumstance. And we worry that we're not going to meet those expectations or another person isn't going to meet the expectations or the circumstance won't live up to our idealized expectations. It really helps for us to use mindfulness to ask yourself, you know, what are my expectations like of myself? Are they on the high end? And does some of my worrying come from thinking I'm not living up to these expectations? Do I have a lot of expectations of others that I find they can't live up to? And then people worry that people aren't living up to their expectations. So again, this can be very, very subtle in our relationships. Like at work, for example, sometimes we have huge expectations of performing at work and that creates worry. And oftentimes, doing less than those expectations is just going to be fine. But we have set the bar so high that we've created a state of worry for ourselves because we just can't reach these imagined goals or this imagined sense of having to be perfect for ourselves, for others. Human beings often have this subtle worry of not living up to other people's expectations, right? So we can set our expectations really high. And when we do that, it can lead to unnecessary worry in our life. So that's another thing to bring mindfulness to, to understand about yourself and get in touch with is, what are your expectations for yourself? You know, how reasonable are they? How reasonable are your expectations of others? And how often do you find yourself disappointed in yourself 
and disappointed in others. And where does worry fit into? We can have this low, it's like a low grade fever. We can have this low grade worry when we are not meeting our own expectations. And it's something to consider with worry. I've, I've really grown in this department myself to really lower my expectations of outcomes. And it really has helped to decrease anxiety and worry in my own life. And meditation has been such a huge component of my ability to take a look at that in myself, that worried self that has this all or nothing kind of perfectionistic aspiration. And then when I can't meet the bar, there's this, oh my gosh, I'm not going to be perfect. What's going to happen scenario. So I would definitely encourage you to look at that part of yourself when that arises. Now, the last one I wanted, I've mentioned this before in other Dharma talks, is this thing that we call negative brain bias, which just means the mind tends to look at the negative. We've evolved looking at the negative because finding out what's negative helps protect us and keep us safe. We look at a room, we want to make sure it's safe, we're going to look for the negative. We look at relationships, we want to look at the negative to protect ourselves from harm. We anticipate experience, we look at the negative first to make sure the experience is safe. We are programmed to look at the negative. Now, a little bit of that is okay. We call that caution. Too much of that, now we're in the domain of worry. The way to look at this is to ask yourself, am I allowing enough positive in to my life? When I'm looking at my life, when I'm looking at the world, when I'm going through my day, how much of my thought process feels very negative, very aversive? Am I allowing the positive things that are happening to even count? Oftentimes we downplay the positive. We forget that there's so much positive that happens in a single day of our lives because the mind tends to be programmed to look for the things that we messed up on, how we tripped over something or failed at something or weren't good enough. And we forget how much positivity there is. So I would like to remind us all, let the positivity in. Remind yourself of the good things that are happening day to day. Remember your gratitude practices. A great antidote to worry is gratitude. Because some of our worry is, again, based on the negativity. Oh my gosh, these three negative things happened, but I forgot that five positive things happened today. Like when I think about my day today, the first thing that comes up is that I dropped two different plates at two different times today. I knocked them off the counter. And that sticks in my head as something that wasn't positive. One of them broke. The other one did not. But that's two things today that didn't go very well. And they're in my head. They stick in my head. Now, that could be something to dwell on or perseverate on. Or at the end of my day, I can make a concerted effort to say, what good happened in my day today? What things went right? There were plenty of things that went just fine. But what I remember is the plate shattering because that was the most distinct negative experience that happened today. So remember to let the good in. Remind yourself of the good. This is why when I talk about journaling and reflections, I always invite you at the end of your evening to think of a few things that went well for you in the day. Extend some gratitude for that positivity. What studies show is the more you practice doing it, the more it becomes a great antidote for all of that negativity that the mind is programmed to look for. And you'll find yourself being more um, optimistic and more curious when you try to reflect on the positivity. And I'm not talking about positive thinking like, you know, glossing over things, making things look better than they were. I mean, really looking at just all the basic goodness that was in your life in a particular situation. A great antidote to worry and concern.
The last one I wanted to mention is one that the Buddha talks about quite a bit. A great antidote to worry is Sangha, right? A great antidote to worry is other people, right? Worry is something that can get trapped in our heads and trapped in our hearts. And when we find ourselves spiraling like that internally, that's a reminder, get it out of your head, get it out of your heart, call someone that cares for you, can listen without judgment, who supports you in your life and say, you know, I've got a lot of worry on my heart today. Can you just listen? I just want to get this out. It really helps to talk out worries because sometimes as you're talking about them to somebody else who can really listen, you'll start noticing the catastrophizing. You'll start noticing the generalizing. You'll start noticing the negative bent that you're putting on things. When it's inside your head, it's harder to see. But in Sangha, in community, when you have someone you can talk out your worries and concerns with, you'll find that they will come down a level. They'll come down a notch. So community is one of the things that the Buddha talks about being an antidote to both doubt and worry. If you don't have someone that you can talk to and reach out to, writing your worries down is another way of decreasing the energy around them, decreasing that negativity. Because as you write them down, you can then use it as a meditation to look for the negativity, look for how you're viewing it. When it's in your head, it's so much harder, right? The head is such a small space, the heart is so contracted and we can't really see. Write it down, write a list of your worries. And I'll give you one other thing. This is completely more in the therapy world. but um, And actually, if you probably read most articles these days on like skills around worry, you're probably going to find this in there. Um, but not just writing them down, but setting up what they call setting up a time to worry. If there's something on your heart that's heavy, right, and you find that you're perseverating on it throughout the day, this is a hugely, incredibly effective technique. Make a commitment that you're only going to worry about it at a particular time during your day and allow yourself a particular amount of time to just vent that worry. Tonight at 8 o'clock when I get off work, I'm going to worry about from 8 to 8.20, I'm going to write down my worry about this thing or I'm going to express this worry to somebody. What it does is it releases the tension on the heart. So you don't have to perseverate because you know you've said, look, this is worrying Tomorrow afternoon, I'm reserving time to worry. It's like this reverse psychology kind of thing. I've done this before, and it really is quite effective. If you do not have Sangha, now all of you have Sangha. There's a bunch of people in this room. You can always reach out to your Sangha if you have worries that you need to express and concerns. And especially if during this time, especially if anyone is needing any support, by all means, send me an email. We'll get on Zoom. I will listen, and we will talk out those worries, and we'll look at that all of those little thought patterns and stuff, and we'll bring that level of dukkha down. But if not, your friends, your family, you know, talk to your cat. I talk to my cat all the time. Anyone who can listen to you getting those worries out will decrease the intensity of that kind of stuff. So Sangha, Sangha is really the key there. And one last thing I'll just say, um, you know, in the Dharma, no matter what suffering we're talking about, whether it's anger or ill will or depression or anxiety or worry. I mean, you know, dukkha has so many flavors, right? It's like 31 flavors of like suffering for human beings. There's always another flavor of suffering. No matter what the suffering is, remember 
that the Dharma is a proactive practice, right? We think ahead, we do our meditations, we regularly make sure that we are planting seeds for long-term happiness and well-being. If we practice every day, then when moments happen where where we can arise, we're prepared. The Dharma is a preparatory practice so we can go out into the world and have the strength of mindfulness, have the strength of compassion to deal with stuff when it arises, right? So that's why a daily practice is so effective. That's why coming regular to meditations or listening to Dharma talks, you know, practicing the tools ahead of time is really one of the great keys to being able to reduce suffering when that event actually happens. Get in touch with your worried self when there's nothing to worry about. Sit down with a piece of paper, sit on your cushion, and think about these things, right? Think about your habits. Because then when suffering actually arises, you'll know exactly what tools you can bring to the present moment. So remember that this is preparatory. It's like going to the gym. We lift the weights first, then we go play the game. We get ourselves strong and concentrated and joyous and compassionate so that when tough times come, we have the tools in our toolbox to manage the anxiety and the frustration and the worry. And I think that's it. I think that's where we'll end for today. So much is going on and I think reminding ourselves the power of wishing folks well in times of distress is really one of the great practices of the Dharma and it's such a great habit to get into because again, with worry and concern, loving kindness is pretty much one of the big antidotes to so much of the dukkha because loving kindness includes looking at the positive, living into a future where we choose to control what we can and accept what we can't and so loving kindness really has so many of these tools embedded in it. So let's relax for another five minutes or so and let's do some meta. Let's, let's give a shout out to the world and to ourselves and to our Sangha. Let's spread some love. So much needed these days. I know I could use a heavy dose of it. All right, my friends, let's get... Let's get back into the body for a couple seconds here. Why don't we begin with two or three long, slow, deep breaths in through the nose and out through the mouth, bringing awareness back into the physical sensations of the body We've been listening to words. Let's go back into feelings. Ground ourselves in sitting posture. Breathing in hope, breathing out the distress, the agitation and the worry. Breathing in kindness, breathing out the discontent. Let us bring to the altar of our hearts something that is going well in your life these days. It could simply be that you're not sick right now. 
that you have a safe place to sleep. That you are healthy and well enough to be able to join us this evening in community. Perhaps the goodness in your life is that your family and friends are well and safe. There is always goodness that can be found. What is the goodness in your life? What are you grateful for in this moment? And as we bring this acknowledgement of goodness, acknowledgement of gratitude into our awareness, we also bring into awareness the feeling that comes with it. How does it feel to have something good in your life, something you are grateful for? This person, this thing, this experience. Let us be present with the emotion of gratitude, thankfulness, for being able to call goodness into the present moment. And with this gratitude in our hearts and minds, with that sentiment in the present moment, let us wish well for all beings. May all beings share in the merits of our practice. May all beings be free from danger, worry, and concern. May all beings know safety, comfort, and security. May all beings know community, know kindness and compassion. May all beings be free from suffering. And we might take a moment to extend our hearts to the environment itself. May the environment be free from suffering. May we remind ourselves that we are of the environment. We arise out of it. And in this moment, there is great distress in our ecosystem. Let us bring that into our awareness. Can we wish well for the earth itself? May it heal. And may we grow and participate in that healing. May the environment, may the planet, may the earth be free from suffering.
May all beings be free. May all beings be liberated in this lifetime. And in this moment, if you could wish anything for all beings, what would it be? If you could wish anything and it would come to pass, what well-wishing would you offer the world in this moment? Bring that thought to the altar of your hearts. What is your greatest aspiration for all beings in this moment? Thank you so much, my friends, for joining me. So good to be back. So good to see you all. I am glad you are all safe and well. May everyone in our community be safe and well. It's pretty intense out there. Please take care of yourselves. If you need any support, please do not hesitate to reach out. Shoot me an email and I will get back to you promptly. Thanks again. For coming by. I will see you next week. In the meantime, if you need me, get a shout out. Otherwise, thank you so much for joining us in community. Much love to y'all.